everybody. This is the Bless Your Boys podcast. Bless Your Boys is your home on the SB Nation platform for all things Detroit Tigers baseball. I'm your host, Brandon Day. I'm a staff writer and editor with Bless Your Boys. And with me is my co-host, Ashley McClendon, who is also a staff writer and editor at Bless Your Boys. Ashley, what's going on? Not too much. We were. Um... I wish I had. To, I'd, I wish I'd come up with something wittier to say. Like I know you ask me that every time, and someday I'm gonna have something so cool to say. It's such a general uh, Midwestern. I question. know. Today is not that day. How like, are how are th- everything? How is everything? <laughs> how are everything? I like that. I you should just come up with some weird version that's just slightly off yep. and really fuck with people. Yeah, I get the feeling like you know when I'm when I'm in. You know, on the East Coast or down, well, you know, down South, they're pretty mannerly in, in their own way, or at least like somewhat gentle about how they get to know someone. But, you know, the East Coast, like people don't ask you too many vague ass questions. They don't just want to hear you like talk about anything that you might talk about. <laughs> Tends yeah, to be more specific. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like I could have tried better. I'll work harder on this, Brandon, next time. You'll have some awesome like rejoinder that will just stun me and i'll, I'll yeah i'll come silent. up with like some sort of cool fact or something to like throw at you and be like well i'm great but did you know mm-hmm. that like bats sleep upside down of course everybody knows that i was not prepared today as we've determined yep well i, I know and you know we both write you're you're much more the professional writer obviously but uh there's you know there's always so much like random info coming in and going out through our brains that we should i don't know we should probably throw a little bit in here i watched a fascinating rocky mountains documentary last night about the form the geological formation of the rocky mountains but we're not going to talk about that That (laughs) yeah what we are going to talk about first of all um the thing we wanted to address first um you know kurt mentioning has you know been a huge part of bless you boys um he's you know he basically founded bless you boys out of mac avenue tigers um over a decade ago and it's very unfortunate news um about, I don't know, what was it, five or six days ago, we found out that Kurt's going to be laid off by Fox Media, um, which is our parent, which is SB Nation's parent company. And I think we, you know, we just want to take a moment both to say how much that sucks and um, and how much we're going to miss him and how much we've learned, we both, I know, learned from him. Um, yeah. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be at Bless You Boys if it wasn't for Kurt. Kurt's the only reason I'm there. Yep. So it's it's a huge blow, not just to, to Bless You Boys, but to all of SB Nation where he worked so hard. Um, and we're, we're really heartbroken to have him leave. Yeah, I mean, the way SB Nation has developed, um, you know, their entire platform owes a lot to the way, um, you know, Kurt has kind of designed things and innovated along the way. Um, the way he's mentored a lot of people that, you know, readers of Bless Your Boys will never see, um, you know, editors on the MLB page, um, you know, all the work he's done with like the specialty sport, like the Olympics and horse racing and NASCAR and things that, you know, oh, require re- yeah. serious coverage, but don't really, you know, have like an expert that you can have on hand all year long writing about those, those topics. Um, you know, he's just, he's meant so much to, to SB Nation in general. I know a lot of people um, from other sites, a lot of people on the MLB um, page itself were, are really, um, really upset about this. We're obviously really upset about this. Um, you know, Kurt is, is really the reason why I decided to write for Bless Your Boys as well. Um, you know, I just started fan posting and the yeah. more I talked to him and Rob, the more I was like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm into this. Um, you know, none of us work here because we're getting paid really anything at all. Um, I don't want to go into that or get too deep into it. <laughs> this is all, you know, we made our, our choices and we're doing what we're doing, but we'll so keep I'm not it complaining, friendly. but yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're not, I'm not going to complain about that. It's just that, you know, the, the main reason 
I write for Blushy Boys is because of, you know, what it is that Kurt created there, the community, um, you know, the style of coverage that's really both fan based and also, you know, deeply analytical. Um, on the other hand, to, to really um, broaden kind of the, the scope of coverage compared to what, you know, a beat writer and, you know, can really produce, you know, trying to crank out stories on a daily basis. Um, and yeah, you know, I could go on and on, but um, yeah, it's, it's a huge blow to sight. I know Rob feels the same way and, you know, I think we all do. It's not yeah. ever going to be the same. Yep. So I mean, we'll, we'll obviously keep up the same, you know, proud coverage that we've, we've learned from him, but it's, it still sucks to see him go. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it kind of, you know, I've always had kind of the, the, ever since I started there, like this aspect of trying to live up to what, you know, bless you boys was when I got there. And, um, hopefully we're doing that. Hopefully we can continue to do that. Um, we will do the best we can and we will, we will move onward and I'm sure Kurt will be fine because Kurt is Kurt. Oh, Kurt's going to go on to bigger and better things. I have no doubt he'll be like writing his leg. So I'm joined the athletic article in any day now. That's not at all me suggesting that's actually happened, but it's, you know, yeah. it seems very likely to be the case. Yeah, I know we have it's been kind of waiting amazing. for that. Yeah. I think Rob has dibs on writing it for him if it happens, though. I think that's what we've decided. <laughs> yeah. yeah, work Rob's, Rob's way in there. Yeah, Rob's run that as well. Yeah. So we are back at that time of year where we have actual baseball to talk about. Um, but of course, it's early spring training baseball. And so to make, you know, too much out of it is always a really bad idea. Um, you know, we've seen Ronnie Rodriguez with his Mike Avila s- swing, crank a home run and uh, and hit really well out of the gate. Um, Derek Norris hit a home run today. You know, some of the guys you, you, you know, aren't going to expect a lot from and may not even see at the major league level have done OK so far. Um, I think the most important thing is that we haven't had too many injuries. <laughs> um, some other places have had injuries, but we have had ours. Uh, Blaine Hardy apparently has a shoulder impingement. Um, it sounds yeah, like shoulder not- inflammation. Yeah. He got an injection today, so he'll be gone in, at least until the end of the week. Um, but hopefully it's nothing serious and the shot did its thing. And we will have Blaine Hardy back soon. Yep. And, you know, you know, when it's something like that, and especially the way Ron Gardenhire seems to be approaching it, which I think is smart, is that, you know, this is just spring training. Nobody needs to push it and try to, you know, impress anybody, you know, out of the gate here and, yeah, and try to I win think a job what, in February. What was it that Dave Clark said? No, don't be a hero in spring training. Mm-hmm. I think was his thing out yesterday because uh, Jamer Candelario also was out in yesterday's game. Uh, he left because of a knee injury. Um, I think there was a collision between him and one of the Orioles. Who was it? Gossman? Yeah, Am Kevin, I make? yeah. Yeah, Kevin Gossman. Yep. Yeah, and Gossman got a pretty nice sliced open eye right under his eyebrow. He was joking about it after, obviously totally fine, saying it made him look tougher, like he'd been <laughs> in a fight. You got a scar. Uh, so Gossman, I think he collided with uh, Candelario's helmet, is what he was saying. Yeah. Um, so that was what he thought. It was pretty serious at the time, though. It was quite scary because he was, like, down on the field. They had a, you know, towel on his head. They had to help him off. Yeah, and I mean, what's fortunate is that no one was hurt. You know, Candelario and Gossman are probably fine. And that's, you know, the most important thing in spring training is nobody get hurt. Um, I know the Mariners in particular have made, you know, kind of a kind of a focus this offseason of, you know, telling their guys to rest and relax. Don't get crazy. Just stay healthy and get to the season. 
No one really cares how much, uh, you know, work a guy puts in in spring training. Um, and yeah, the Mariners have just kind of told their guys like, you know, don't, don't come in early. Don't try to like do triple the workouts and all this kind of thing. And I think you're going to see teams starting to understand that because the injuries that pile up in spring training are, are by and large just stupid. Um, and super unnecessary. Like, yeah, just go out there and, and show what you've got, but don't, you know, don't literally leave it all on the field. Yep. Exactly. Like, yeah, you know, it's, it's just kind of silly to come out in spring training and think you're just going to outwork everybody and impress them to that degree. Can, so. can we talk about outworking and impressing for a second? Yeah, go for it. With, with Noah Syndergaard. Oh, know, yeah. Is where, A, he was, he I think, like, two-thirds of his pitches were over 100, which is insane, the beginning, like, the beginning of spring training, his first outing. And then... He insisted on doing his entire post-game interview shirtless. Oh, yeah. Well, you got to, you know. He he was like, I'm hot. And I'm like, yeah, we get it, Noah. Okay. You're (laughs) ripped and you look like Thor. Like, this is is, excessive. It's only 80 degrees out. Calm down. Yep, exactly. Like, uh, just trying to show up Mr. Met again or something like that, perhaps. (laughs) I didn't even (laughs) think of that. But, man, that was just too funny. I was looking at that and I'm like, is this really happening? Is this... Is this what life is now? We're just gonna have shirtless Noah Syndergaard looking, being like, "No, look how healthy I am." And I'm like, "Yeah, we get it. You're not on the disabled list. Congrats." Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, he came out, you know, throwing 100 miles an hour um, <laughs> against yeah, Justin, Justin Verlander. It, that was quite a quite a pitching matchup for the first uh, time out. Sick. Like, not okay. Yeah. Yeah. Jose Altuve's face after. Syndergaard <laughs> dropped a, like a 92 mile per hour changeup on him and struck him out. It was just yeah, it was priceless. Yeah, it, it, it was it, it was right up there with some of the Brewers' reactions to seeing Otani pitch for the first time, where yeah. it was like, oh, oh, okay, yep. so he may he may just live up to the hype, but we'll see. Yeah, I'm, I I think people are going to be disappointed at first because he's probably not going to come out and just be a, a monster, but yeah, I mean the stuff looked really good. Um, you have to figure he's he, he's definitely able to hold his own, so. We'll see how that goes. But um, yeah, and Verlander looked awesome. Um, actually, Justin Verlander looked, you know, a lot of times he's kind of late to really get it going in camp. He, you know, he he doesn't try to overthrow early in camp and just kind of like works his way up. But he was hitting 97. Fastball had a ton of life. The curveball and slider both looked evil. So he he looked very much like he did when, when they left off last October. So um, anybody okay. looking to place a bet on a Cy Young candidate, um, Verlander is not a bad one because you'll get better odds than on Chris Saylor, Corey Kluber pretty scary yep yep they were looking good and um yeah there was other injury news though unfortunately um yeah you know a couple of the the top pitching prospects in the game have gone down early for various reasons um Forrest Whitley of the Astros got suspended for 50 games for some kind of some kind of drug test violation um it didn't sound and like it wasn't it was his PEDs. was it his first I think it was his first I believe yeah. it was. Yeah. I think if it had been more, he would have been suspended for longer. Yeah. So it would have been his first infraction. Mm-hmm. Still sucks for the Astros. I think they said it was a amphetamine that a friend of his gave him to like drive overnight somewhere, which is you know cute and everything. We're like, all right, whatever. That sucks. <laughs> yep. And then unfortunately, like the real unfortunate one is that Brett Honeywell of the screw <sighs> the nasty screwball, um, excellent fastball, <laughs> slider, curveball combination changeup. You mean one of the best pitching prospects in baseball, Brett Honeywell? Yeah, he blew his UCL, and Tommy John surgery is <sighs> incoming. And this is the Brent. worst, the worst part of this year, honey. Yep, Brent Honeywell. I'm so because I mean we all know 
by now, naturally, that I am also a Rays fan. Yep. This is heartbreaking. It's been a rough, and it's, uh, rough week or two. <laughs> he did. He went under the surgery. He did the surgery with Dr. Andrews on Tuesday, today for us. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming it went well. He, he went into it really, you know, he, I think he already came out joking about it. He's been retweeting stuff today because there was another guy in there getting the surgery today, too. Apparently, they just churn those things out. It's like a little Tommy John <laughs> surgery factory at Dr. Andrews's place. They must have it down to a fine science. Yeah. Um, but, like, he's he's already got the, like, Honeywell 2019 thing going. And he's, uh, yeah, as he said, he's like, stick to rehab, bust your ass, come back strong. So he's... Uh, He's really ready, I think, to to give it his all and do whatever it takes to come back. But, man, it's a real blow because the Rays just lost Odorizzi to the trade to the Twins. And they were, I think, really counting on Honeywell to pick up a lot of those games and and really test himself at the major league level this year. So it's going to be really rough. Yeah, you hate to see it in the spring, especially because, you know, a lot of times it means a guy isn't going to be back to like the middle of next season. You know, if it happens like in August or something like that, yeah, it can, you know, if you're a contender, it's a a big problem. But otherwise, like, uh, you know, maybe they'll be back, you know, in, you know, after that next year. But yeah, it's going to be a little bit. Um, hopefully that, that all heals well and goes really well because Brett Honeywell should be very fun to watch in the years to come. Um, and the other one, which doesn't seem like it's that bad now, but in the moment, like Felix Hernandez took a shot off Oof. right off the pitching elbow, um, which is just like, you know, I'm sure everybody in the Mariners dugout pretty much just had a heart attack and, and crapped themselves at that point because yeah. their season was about to go down the toilet if there was something really wrong with them. But it sounds like um, all the x-rays came back negative and, He's just got a really bad bruise, bone bruise or something. So, oh, it's still so rough. Like, I mean, there's a lot of it. Like, we didn't even mention that. Like, our our own the the Tigers' own recent pitching acquisition, Francisco Liriano, has gone down. Um, I don't even remember with what. It was just so sudden. Yeah, ham hamstring pull. Is it hamstring? Okay. Yeah. So it sounded like not too bad. Like maybe a week. He should yeah. be kind of able to start doing everything again. But. Um, and yeah, we haven't talked about that because that happened later last week, but Francisco Liriano was signed by the Tigers um, to, I think it was a $4 million deal. Yeah, one year, $4 million with, I think, 1.5 potential in incentives. Yeah. I wrote this story. I should probably know the answer to this. Yeah, it was days uh, ago now, you know. Yeah, it was almost a week ago. I can't remember these things. Spring training days are so, so much longer. So much happens. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, and they DFA'd Jairo Labort as a result. Or Gyro Labort. Gyro. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's a $4 million with an additional $1 million in incentives. Um, and that was confirmed on the 23rd. Yeah. And that's, you know, and that's a pretty good move as long as he, they're intending on him, on putting him in the bullpen. Um, I really don't Do like the so? idea of them like having him start. If they want to have a competition to see if he can outwork Boyd or Norris, you know, that's fine. Um, you know, if one of those guys struggles, it's good to have Liriano, but yeah, I would, I would really hope that unless they see something you know, really impressive. They just they just put him in the bullpen and and see how you know maybe just have him throw sixty percent of that slider, which is it has been his best pitch his whole career and is the the pitch that's still good um, while his fastball's faded. Yeah, I would prefer them do that. Um, I don't really see the point of putting him in you know into the rotation when we have other guys we could try who are younger and. No, I I agree definitely on the trying the younger guys, but I feel like we're going to have the Annabelle Sanchez situation we had last year. 
um, where you don't want him in your starting rotation, but he ends up there because of a result of, you know, all the shit that goes down in the season. Yeah. So I feel like we're going to have either a Norris groin pull, God forbid, or, you know, (laughs) Boyd just kind of regresses a little bit. And I think we're going to see if Liriano stays healthy, at least. I think we're going to end up probably seeing him in like May or June as like a a starter for at least a couple games. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Yeah. I'm not trying to predict doom and gloom, but it seems a pretty likely um, outcome given how things go for the Tigers. Yeah, and everybody really. I mean, I think the average major league team uses nine or ten starters every year. Um, So it's good to have him as a spot starter. Um, They've also got Travis Wood, who's another lefty. Um, I don't know if they're going to take both of these guys in, into the season. I kind of doubt it. I think Daniel Stump is going to get the look um, as far as like kind of being one of the two lefty relievers. Um, but he we'll was see. pretty good today. Yeah, Daniel Stump's an interesting guy. Um, I've actually got an article coming on him, and he's working on a changeup, which would really, really help him against right-handers. Um, but we'll see if that can work out. Right now, he's he's pretty much a confirmed loogie. But, but you know, for a Rule 5 pick last year, that actually worked out reasonably well. Yeah, he he did not bad today. Alex Wilson, on the other hand, did not look great. Gave up six runs, um, possibly hindering his chances <laughs> for that starting gig that he was he was angling for. It just it it wasn't a good looking outing for him. Yeah. Um, Mike, Mike, or what are we? Mike Fears or Fires? I always like want to start singing. We didn't start the fires. Um, is it Fears? I think it's Fears. Yeah. Yeah, Mike Fears looked pretty good out there though. Yeah, yep, he had a good day. Um, that's nice to see, because you know he's going to be in the rotation, um, assuming he's healthy, and he was solid. Alex Wilson, like his first outing at least, was really good. But Yeah, was... his first outing had a lot to offer. Like, there were a lot of strikeouts, yeah. he looked good, but, but that was like a genuine <laughs> start, and it was against a college team, too, yeah. exactly, so. But, yeah. I mean, the Phillies are almost a college team. <laughs> <laughs> My apologies to our Phillies listeners, if there are any. That yeah. was rude. That was <laughs> You Sorry, know, Gabe Kapler. I know, I know. You know, they're 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 hot potatoes over there with Gabe Kapler, you know, driving them with a whip from behind. So, yeah, they're, yeah. they're not going to take that real kindly, you know. They do, ha- they do have the best mascot in baseball or tied for best. They have a, a very good mascot in Philadelphia. We'll give them that. I, honestly, I think Phillies are going to be interesting this season. I think there's going to be uh, – I mean, they did, you know, bring back, like, a huge, like, six-run gain – so, you know, they're not doing too bad. Yeah, they do have some, you know, they've got some bats over there. Um, it's just a question of the pitching. Like, they had a lot of injuries last year, and, yeah, they really need Aaron Nola to be good, and they need Vince Velasquez to come back and, and be healthy, Jared Eikhoff. Um, a lot's going to have to go right. But, you know, some, somebody was talking about this, I think, at MLB Radio today, but they're only their payroll's only at, like, $60 million at this point, and that's after signing... Carlos Santana for three years, $20 million. So they've got money. Um, You know, I I wouldn't advise going and signing, you know, Jake Arrieta necessarily, but if they got themselves, you know, a Lance Lynn or an Alex Cobb um, and another bat, you know, they could probably skate in at like 80, 90 million. That's ridiculous. They were iron. They are buying. Yeah. Also, why isn't the MLB Players Association filing a grievance against them? Yeah. Yeah, I know. MLBPA filing grievances against people and just letting others off the hook. Like, if I don't we're just handing out grievances willy-nilly, why are we not giving them against the Phillies, I've too? got some grievances to, to air against various Major League franchises. <laughs> I mean, if we're just handing them, like, if we're just going to, you know, be grievous, we might as well just 
spread it out evenly. I know. Can we turn this into like a kind of a class action lawsuit where we, you know, we take various teams? To I pass? feel personally affronted by Major League Baseball. This off season was very bad for my mental health. It really was. Um, you know, can I can I sue the MLB and the MLBPA for that? <laughs> yeah, and just like all all Major League Baseball writers just end up suing them for the most boring Your off season. Childish shenanigans have ruined my winter. Yeah, how dare you? How dare you, people? Yeah, and that, um, you know, I don't even want to go into it because we've talked about this so much, but the Major League Baseball Players Association filed grievances against the Marlins, the A's, the Pittsburgh Pirates, and Tampa Bay's, all accusing them of failing to spend the appropriate, or to appropriately spend the revenue sharing money that they're allotted under the collective bargaining arrangements and all that. And I. It's so convoluted and it's also so stupid because it's not even the first time that this kind of thing's been brought against the Pirates. And they've already shown that they're spending their money appropriately, as far as I know. And like, they're not spending on... any of the owner's money, but they are spending the revenue sharing money. Sorry, yeah. I had to get that dig in there. No, that's <laughs> fine. And then, like, we looked at um, the Rays spending the other day on D Rays Bay, actually. Like, we actually did a post about it the day before this came out, looking at how much the Rays spend. And they get about $45 million a year from revenue sharing. And their spending is right on par with what every major league team should be spending. So I'm not entirely sure where they're getting this concept that these four teams are not spending appropriately. And I mean, Hey, if they can come out and show me numbers that have evidence that the four teams aren't spending the revenue sharing money appropriately, then I'll believe it. And they'll have some foundation for the grievance, which they haven't even said why, what they want. Yeah. Like, I, the Rays have spent more this offseason than I think somebody said something like the Dodgers and the Yankees combined. Wow. Yeah. Like, well, because they're, if you're not talking trades or taking on contracts. And they're all maxed like, out kind of anyway, as far as like. Exactly. To, yeah. So I don't, I don't get this and I'll have to wait to see more before I like say that the MLBPA are being completely ridiculous, but it does seem like a pretty baseless way to kind of make these teams who aren't spending a lot or who are making trades or doing things that perhaps the players don't agree with. Like I know there's a lot of players not happy with the Rays right now, especially Corey Dickerson, (laughs) who was, you know, needlessly DFA'd. Um, I think it's a way for the MLBPA to kind of like slap the wrists of these teams who aren't going out and spending money on players and who aren't spending in the big way that the larger franchises are. And, it, it's kind of a silly way to go about it because I think it just makes the MLBPA look goofy. It just but... feels like butt covering, like way after the fact, you know, to like, oh, we did something like, you know. And, and, <laughs> and it's specifically referring to the 2017 season and the off season. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I want more details on it. It's pretty weird, though. And of course, all of the teams are coming out saying this is ridiculous. Yeah. So, yeah, I believe uh, MLB's comment was just that we believe this, the complaint, we've received the complaint and believe it has no merit. And that was it. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess the one thing I will, I will withhold judgment for is that, I mean, it's, it's entirely possible that they're just trying to get a little more information here too, um, by filing this as to, you know, what revenue sharing actually is as a percentage of payroll. Um, you know, MLB can play a little fast and and loose with with the actual numbers behind because they're not required by law to, you know, to produce any of that publicly. Um, and you know, so maybe there's some kind of 
some kind of dig there to try to just force MLB to like make their case so that they can see something in particular. But by and large, it just feels like after the off season we'd, we've had, this is just like some kind of like, you know, gesture to like, oh, we're, you know, we're taking on the teams, you know, we're doing something about this. And I, I really yeah. have to imagine this isn't going to come to anything. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see much happen because they're not no team is going to be so stupid as to receive forty five million dollars a year and not use it appropriately. Like I, I maybe that's just me being naive, but I think especially in a, a business like this where you're going to be so closely watched, you're not going to be so stupid as to like go out and spend it on like a giant <laughs> outfield statue. Like it's not nobody's going to be like lol 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 I have 45 million dollars I'm going to go to the horse track. Right. The, like, o- the owner used this to update his, you know, the front office facilities and put a luxury apartment in for himself. Yeah. And my other <laughs> question is, is like if you're getting that money for your team, who cares if that money is going to player salary or to stadium upgrades or creating a better fan experience cuz hey, isn't that what we want? More fans watching baseball? Like I thought that was the entire point of all of this. Yeah, but like, I'm gonna, but I'm still going to argue that though because I mean the revenue sharing money should be spent on players. Like all these owners could spend a lot more money on all those other things you mentioned. You know, they they have the money to do it. Um, the Pirates ownership, the Rays owner has plenty of of personal wealth. Like all these guys could afford to do those things and still spend on players. Um, it's just that yeah, I mean, as a legal matter, this this doesn't seem to have any any weight or, or chance of success. You know, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm definitely one of those, one of those people who complains a lot about owners um, not spending money um, when, when they could, but yeah, I, I think you're right. I just don't really see where, you know, where the revenue sharing part of it really comes in. Um, a couple of years ago, you know, the athletics, I believe were, were actually not spending it. And maybe there were a couple other teams as well. So maybe this kind of reaches back, you know, a few years in, in yeah. the grievance, but we just don't have enough details to really know. And it seems like all those teams kind of realized um, that the gig was up and, and started spending that money in recent years. So I, yeah, that just seems like it's going to go by the wayside pretty much. Yeah. I don't, I don't get it. And to go back to the Francisco Liriano signing, I just wanted to take one moment to bitch about them um, <laughs> designating Hyrule Laborte for, um, or Gyro Laborte for assignment because they, the Tigers must have eight guys on this roster, on the 40-man roster right now, who are never going to turn into anything. Like, at best, you know, guys like Drew Verhagen, Chad Bell, even um, some of these, you know, some of the utility infielders they've picked up that they had to add to the 40-man. These people are not going to last. They're not going to be anything. They're going to be trade, you know, pieces at some point. And while Laborte does, you know, definitely have serious command issues still, he's also got outstanding stuff from the left-handed side. And I just do not get that move. Um, he may get through waivers and he comes back and everything is fine, but I just hated that move. God, I hated it. Yeah. You weren't (laughs) alone. I know Rob was really unhappy with it too. Yep. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, like he's probably not going to turn into anything, but I need to see this team doing smart things. And when I don't see that, I get very aggravated. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you know, the thing, the other thing that happened this week, um, that kind of goes back to sort of the off season and the kerfuffle over free agents and spending and all that is that JD Martinez finally did agree with the Red Sox and they went through a little scuffle about some of his medicals and 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 worked out some other arrangements um, in the contract for that. But JD Martinez is now a Red Sox and you know we're all gonna have to unfortunately deal with that. 
Um, it doesn't bother me, you know, that Ian Kinsler and Justin are on the Angels so much. I can root for the Angels. I cannot root for the Red Sox. And now J.D. Martinez <laughs> is the enemy, and this sucks. And, you know, we haven't had to deal with this in a long time, like, you know, a decade where we didn't really have to see any of our great players go to, a, like, a, a legitimate rival. Not that the Tigers yeah. even rise up to the level of being anyone's rival at the moment, but it's still No, annoying. but I mean, I'll still get really mad when, like, you know, they hit home runs in Comerica and... You know, it's just going to be, you can never have fun. You can't enjoy the Red Sox. <laughs> Sorry, Red Sox fan. I hate the Yankees more. I do hate um, the Yankees more too, but yeah. But yeah, it's just, it's not, it, it was so weird seeing him walk into camp. Like the first pictures of him arriving at Red Sox camp and the pictures of him in the jersey and the hat. I'm just like, ooh, this looks so weird. Yeah, shake like, hands with Dombrowski. Ugh. Oh, no, it looks so wrong. And it's like it's right up there with me, like seeing Evan Longoria in a Giants jersey, which still hasn't settled in. That still looks so weird to me. Yeah, honestly, but, that's, that's worse. It's <laughs> definitely worse. It's not <laughs> right at all. Like, bleh. yeah. <sighs> yeah. So, you know, there it is. You know, the Red Sox got their got their big power bat. And, you know, everyone thinks the East is the place to be. And the Yankees are going to run rush out all, all over everyone. Um the Astros obviously strongly disagree <laughs> with that, as yeah. Justin Verlander made clear last week. <laughs> yeah, he's like, what do you mean? The Rudy, like, let's still talk about the Astros, because the Astros are still going to be insane. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and there was a great article, I think it was on ESPN the other day, but it was about Verlander kind of taking over um, the Astros and, you know, kind of like the, some of the speeches that he was making in camp and telling all these young players like to contact him and giving them the old, you know, the only stupid question is the one you didn't ask speech. And um, all that stuff makes me feel so good. And then I realize it's not for us. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. pretty sad. Although he did. Um, part of what he came out and talked about it was how much he really appreciated the way that Detroit and Detroit fans rallied around the Astros come the world series. Like he said, it was really touching for him to see that that that's just not such a normal thing for fans to really like latch onto a new team just to give support to a player that they love. And so it's kind of nice to know that he, you know, he didn't miss out on that, that he saw people kind of reacting that way. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, Lynn Henning described it as just like a sigh when he asked, asked the question um, and that, yeah, there was, there was some real emotion there as he, as he kind of, thought back about it but um you know he's gone now and um until he comes back we're gonna have to live with that but i'm i'm still gonna be watching probably every start <laughs> yeah that's, that's my well, guy so he's still verlander he's still and i like that we're both like still somehow holding on to this idea that he'll be back yep i, know. I have to believe i know you know people thought that when um uns Cespedes was traded as well obviously verlander's a, a very very different situation and I, and I do think he will be back i honestly do think that I'm just not so sure that it's going to be in 2020 when he's still probably pretty good. Um, it, it's, you know, there's there's a better chance that it's a kind of ceremonial contract when he's, you know, 40 or whatever and, and getting ready to hang it up. So, well, I speaking hope, of ceremonial but... contracts, why has nobody signed Ichiro yet? I know. I don't like I don't get Tigers. That. Just sign him for a year. Oh, my God. There's so like many he, people of you know still available, and Ichiro just sitting right there, just like pick him up for a little while. <laughs> like, I, I so badly want a team to just realize that, like, I mean, that for the Tigers, it would actually be a lot, like not from a player point of view because there's no place for him. Yeah. But 
from a fan fan butts in seats point of view, having Ichiro on your team would be so smart. I know. So I, I, for a team that's going to struggle to have that fan appeal, I don't know why you don't just sign that one-year deal. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I understand. You know, if you don't want to waste their roster spot or whatever, but there's some teams out there that don't even have, like, a, a Victor Reyes or a Mike Gerber necessarily, like, just about ready to, like, chip in. Um, you know, it, it seems like he should be able to get a job someplace or you yeah know, there's a maybe the right thing lingering i don't know i know there are but i wonder if the right thing though is for is for ichiro to go back to japan and play for a year there and kind of give everyone there like one one year to kind of say goodbye to him um i think yeah. that would be kind of cool and if he went back over there he'd probably actually still be pretty useful <laughs> i could see I him think... actually being an above average outfielder still in um in the nippon league so i don't know what I really want is for him though to like finish out with the Mar- with the Mariners. Like that would be cool, yeah. Last season, final hurrah, just do it with the Mariners is how I'd like that to go down. Yeah. And I'm sure Mariners fans probably agree with me on that, but Yeah, they need something because uh yeah, they've spent a lot of money and made, you know, more trades than entire leagues have altogether over the past few years and not one it's Depoto's great skill. Yep, he's the master of just like I'm he just going to trade this guy. Trading. Yep, yep. It's kind of. I mean, it's fun. It's got to be fun if you're um, if you're a Mariners fan to kind of see people moving around, but it's also got to be yeah, kind of like disconcerting. Like, this is do we know what we're doing here? So it's like never know what kind of balanced ground you're on. Yep, yep. So um, as far as like spring training performances, like I said, like don't take anything out of this. Um, Ronnie Rodriguez has done well. Like, let's not take too much. But um, Jamer Candelario has looked pretty good already so far. Um, he's made a lot of solid contact. And I think kind of the thing that stood out most to everyone so far is that Miguel Cabrera actually does look like he might be in the best shape of his life. Um, I know it's like <laughs> such a cliche thing to say, but he looks amazing. He really does look, you know, much trimmer. Um, you know, he's he's he looked a little quicker on the base paths, actually. Um I, I still haven't seen him driving the ball in the air. Like he still doesn't look quite right to me, but um, it's, he definitely obviously put the work in this off season and did everything he possibly could to get the back in shape and everything. So it's going to be interesting, real interesting to see what he can do this year. Yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing like what version of Miggy takes the field in, in late, late March. Yeah, absolutely. The problem is he won't have that many people to drive in because Guardy doesn't know how to set a lineup. <laughs> oh, do you want to talk about the Leonis Martin thing? Yeah, we probably should talk about Mr. Martin because, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not, you know, it's it's way too early to even assume that Leonis Martin is, is going to be the leadoff hitter. But you can tell absolutely that they want him to be the leadoff hitter. And this yes. is a guy that, you know, anyone remotely familiar with sabermetrics, even going back to Moneyball, will tell you that on-base percentage should be the, the guiding factor of your leadoff hitter. And we're talking about a center fielder who's... I think career OBP is 299 or 300. It's right. Yeah, it's like right there. It's like 302 tops, which is not not good. So no. you know, he's fast, um, and you see why they would want him to be in that kind of old school, like Juan Pierre as the leadoff hitter type guy. Um, but ah, boy, I I don't like seeing that. I I really hope that um, you know it it doesn't matter this year. We all know the Tigers are going to lose. That's not what I'm saying. But you want to see Mr. Gardenhire kind of live up to some of the hype about how much he learned about sabermetrics and, you know, kind of what advanced, you know, thinking would tell you about your, your lineup composition while he was in Arizona. And Leonis Martin leading off is not it. 
So I won't fly into yeah. a rage, but oh, I, I, it just feels it's like not ideal. Yeah, it just feels so guardy, you know. And I always complained, you know, about the, that kind of theory in general, just because when you have a guy who steals a lot of bases and then you put him on base at first, you know, he's, he gets on base, he's at first base, he's not going to steal second base with Miguel Cabrera at the plate because you're just going to then walk Miguel Cabrera. Uh, it, I would much rather see like the, the speedy base dealer guys at the end of the lineup where they can screw around and aggravate the defense and try to manufacture runs and play old school baseball and all that down there. And then just stack the stack your best hitters and give them the most at bats and get out of the way. Yeah. You hear me, Guardy? <laughs> he does not because he doesn't care about your opinion. I know. And damn it. The son of a bitch is too likable. I can't, I can't even get <laughs> I know. mad at him. He's been giving such <laughs> great quotes. It's I know. unbelievable. He knows how to like, work a crowd so hard. Oh, uh, he's going to be so charming. Yeah. He is a charmer. Um, I don't know. There isn't a whole lot else. Like Gregory Soto looked pretty good day. He's he's a, a nice Tigers prospect who still you know got a lot of refinement needed, but throws a lot of gas from the left side. Has a pretty good breaking ball. He's looked pretty good. Um, Fulmer pitched yesterday and looked you know pretty Fulmer. wasn't throwing ninety seven, ninety eight, but um, but but looked pretty good. So that's a guy that you know he's back on the mound and looking good. Um, any anybody else kind of stand out as far as like the pitching staff in particular that you can think of? Not yet. <laughs> yeah, there just isn't that it's... much to say. You want that's the worst thing about spring training. Like all this baseball starts to happen, and you have to know that you shouldn't say too much about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's tough. You can't get really excited about anybody just yet, and it's uh, yeah, it's it's quite a time. I mean the Tigers so... are four and one. Not, that's true. It's not going to get any better than an eighty percent winning percentage this year. I can promise everyone that. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, they enjoy it while it lasts. Yeah, one of the Tigers knocked out sixteen hits this, uh, this today against the Phillies. That was that's, that's yeah, but they also thing. almost blew an eight-run lead, which is the most Tigers thing I've ever watched. Like it's spring training, and here they are, like just throwing away eight-run leads, which is classic yep yep and yeah we're gonna see some of that definitely gonna see some of that um you know miggy's batting 375 which is nice but he hasn't hit for any power yet but who was it that blew up today i think it was oh yeah it was alex wilson six two three run shots i think wasn't it (laughs) yeah it was not great at all yeah gonna have to work on that a little bit more um kevin comer who's a, a minor league free agent that we picked up um who was released by the astros after the um the 2017 season he's He's a big arm. Um, he was kind of a, a, a solid prospect for a few years and just hasn't really ever been able to figure out his command. Um, he went out there and walked a guy, but he did have two strikeouts today. So he'll be a guy to maybe watch for like an outside shot at a bullpen role. Um, Victor Alcantara is still too young. Drew Verhagen had a good day, but Drew Verhagen, yeah, Verhagen looked okay. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't, wasn't too disappointed with Verhagen. Yeah. yeah four strikeouts. Which was nice. Yeah, two innings. Um, that's, that's good work. Um, the thing is, like, Drew Verhey is a very savvy pitcher at this point. Um, he just doesn't have the command or the stuff to pitch at the major leagues. He knows how to get kind of AAA level hitters out. Um, I don't know. He threw a couple sliders today and hung a few of them. But um, I don't know. I was talking about this with uh, our buddy Chris Brown over at Tigstown. We were chatting about it, and he was uh, breaking down Verhagen's outing for me. And if Drew, Ver- Drew Verhagen could develop his slider, which he started throwing last year, into more of a swing and miss pitch. There's still an outside shot that he could at least be useful, but um, yeah, we probably shouldn't. Uh, we probably shouldn't expect too much. Daniel Stump had a good day. It sounded like didn't allow any hits, but yeah, you know. Yeah, he looks fine. It was you know nothing 
nothing wrong, nothing amazing. Yeah. Pretty much exactly what you would want from him. Yep, and I believe Mr. Young Mr. Daniel Norris is is starting tomorrow against the Yankees. Um, that'll be on at 105. So we'll get our first look at Daniel Norris. Um, you know, he had a little bit of uh, another strain. I mean, we could have like kind of a Daniel Norris groin strain drinking game this year, but that <laughs> seems very unpleasant. No. But um, they changed his mechanics actually a decent amount, um, especially the way he's using his his legs. So, you know, I don't know they're trying to sell that as the reason for some of the soreness, but um, that he's kind of moving a little differently than he did before. We'll see if that (laughs) has any any basis in reality as things go along. Yeah, that's that's all we can really do. (laughs) I really, uh, really hoping for Mr. Norris this year. Daniel just, you know, he he would be so great if he was good, if he could just stay healthy. It'd be a lot of fun, and we need some fun, for God's sake. This fun would be nice. Like, let's give us something, something enjoyable. Yep. Please help us, Tigers. At least at least be <laughs> decent for the first half so this isn't too too awful while we wait for the team to figure it out. Oh, Lord. And I don't know, did you want to, you know, you wrote about Dick McAuliffe um, of the 68 team, and, you, you know, you're doing this series, um, going through the 1968 players and kind of telling their stories and stuff. Um, but was there, how was that? reading about Dick McAuliffe. He's not a guy I know a lot about except for the, you know, the nickname. So it was, it was a pretty cool piece to me. I was into it. There was a lot of like really good feedback response from that. Like I didn't, a lot of these guys, because a, I wasn't around in 1968. My apologies. I was born <laughs> in 1983. Um, I, baby. yeah, I know I've been alive for one Tigers world series, but I sure wasn't, you know, coherent enough to enjoy it. Um, my one big thing is I learned how to spell his last name because I had to write it so much. Um, so that was big. <laughs> um, uh, you know what? I found a lot of I got a lot of really good responses about people who do remember watching him play, and like a lot of kids, people talking when they were kids and like mimicking his insane stance, which was oh, yeah. such a delight. Like people were sending me photos of it on on Twitter and and talking about how they you know mimicked it when they were kids. Which really cool um and it was neat to hear he was a bit of a scrapper which is always like a really fun kind of watch um people were we took some umbrage referring to it as his as a quiet career but i only did because he didn't have a lot of rewards or accolades and he's not the kind of guy that you know you see written up in in history books all that often but he was obviously a really big part of of tiger's fandom um yeah he got into a big fight with the tommy john uh and like (laughs) popped his elbow like his like shoulder right out like separated it so like he was hardcore yeah what's Um, great is that there was that piece of video um of that you know you just never know if you're gonna find video of of oh yeah and it was like kind of minor but yeah yeah and it was like with it with the ernie harwell calling background so i mean you can't get better than that and um yeah it's it's doing these has been a lot of fun and i have a lot of people that have been like pitching me um what's next and who is next i think it's like norm cash i want to say yeah yeah, norm cash will be next i had a couple of requests norm cash um so that'll be thursdays uh and then i'll probably take a break from the 68 team for a week and find some other tidbit of tiger's history to dig up um and yeah no it's been a lot of fun writing these and i i find that like we joked about it last year how i start them all and i'm like ugh, ugh, history um (laughs) and then by the time i'm finished writing a 1200 word piece it's like this guy is real cool and it's there's a lot to celebrate about the history of the team and i think the nice thing about these is that it does remind you of like those great moments that the team can aspire to again Mm -hmm. which is 
I, I think important to know that there's so much history to the team and like the lulls and there's not always been winning back to back to back seasons. And so many people have been here since those 60, the years of the sixties or even earlier, like Patrick, um, one of our own writers has such great stories to bring up in it. It's so astonishing to me how many things he remembers so clearly. And, and I think it's a nice reminder to know that we'll weather the storm of this bad season, regardless of how bad it is. 2003 was probably going to be worse. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's, it's warming. It, it makes me feel more in touch with the, the whole Tigers history thing. So it's nice. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel, you know, reading them too. Cause they, you know, you think of like, you know, I mean, I was, obviously there's like, there's Jackie Robinson, there's Roberto Clemente. There are a lot of important players who actually played like a, a major societal role, um, both through their, you know, their play on the field, but in, in sort of what they represented and how they represented themselves in the game. And, you know, the Tigers have some guys like that, you know, like the, the 68 Tigers with the riots and everything that was going on um, with the, you know, societal turmoil in the 60s and, you know, the role that Willie Horton played at that time um, yeah. you know, is really, really kind of interesting. And then you go back to like Hank, Hank Greenberg and his service in World War II, which is... Yeah, Greenberg will probably be one I do. Very similar, you know. Do pretty soon because he's just fascinating. So, yeah, there's, there's so much. It's endless. Like, the thing is, I always worry that when I put one of these names out, there's not going to be much to talk about. But every one of these guys has had such a rich and interesting life. And, like, just their baseball history alone is worth talking about. But they're all such unique people that it's uh, it's really gratifying. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the, you know, baseball is such a, an, an important part of American history, um, you know, up until, like, say, football and basketball kind of took over in the 90s and, and 2000s. But before that, like, you know, everything kind of was represented on the baseball field, you know, like all the the attitudes, you know, the, the cultural struggles and all those sort of things were always reflected in baseball and yeah, the Tigers were a part of that. So yeah, I'm, I'm loving those, that series and, and really looking forward to more of them. Um, you know, the, Oh, no problem. But going from the, you know, like the, the older Tigers to the young guys, um, I did write about Sam McMillan this week, who was our number 14 pro- ranked prospect at BYB. Um, the article is up on the site. If people want to check that out, Sam McMillan is an interesting guy because the Tigers took him in the fifth round, but they actually paid him a million dollars in signing bonus, which is basically what you'd pay a second round player. So that's the kind of the expectation. And people really, um, really like McMillan. He doesn't stand out so much in any way um, as a high school catcher. You're probably not going to, but um, he's, he's a guy who's got a lot of average tools that could all kind of be sharpened as he comes along to make him a catcher of the future. And, you know, the Tigers really invested in him. Um, if you look at him as a fifth round pick, he's probably going to outperform your expectations. Um, if you look at him as a second round pick, he's he's probably got to turn into a, a, a major league catcher of some note at some point. Um, and I don't know if he'll do that, but he's definitely a guy um, Tiger fans should keep an eye on this year. And that series of prospect rankings will continue to roll out this week. And the final thing we're going to do tonight, which we should do more often because Ashley is a professional writer as well as, I mean, I guess I'm sort of a professional writer. <laughs> like, technically, I'm going to pay taxes on wages made from writing. So, all right, fine. Well, don't. Yeah, we, we do. It's uh, delightful. Um, but you also work in a library? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I've managed used and rare bookstores. I've managed, like, you know, B. Dalton, Barnes & Noble, those that chain. So, we're both big readers is basically what I'm trying to, to get to. Yes. So we thought what we would do is kind of like quickly, like knock out whatever books that um, each of us has been reading over the past week or two. So why don't we start with you, fair author, and lay it on us. What you've what you been reading lately? Anything uh, good? I 
got a bunch on the go because I've never not reading more than like 10 at a time. It's ridiculous. I read 30 this month oh, wow. just for um, <laughs> just for a slice of life. Um, I'll go for the three that are on the top of my pile right now. Um, I'm audiobook reading a book called The Psychopath Test by John Ronson. Oh, yeah, yeah. John Ronson's um, a fascinating author. That's, he's yeah, and it's read by him, and he's a very interesting Welsh, I think, guy. So he's got this curious little accent, and he's very self-effacing. And it's it's his kind of exploration of of corporate psychopathy or psychopathy in general. And he's going around interviewing people that he thinks fit a profile where he has no you know psychological training whatsoever. He took a course offered by Bill Hare, who's the man who invented the literal psychopath test, which is a checklist oh, yeah. um, that you can grade people on to determine if they are or are not a psychopath. Um, and it's really fascinating. I'm about 60% of the way through that right now. And it's just kind of him wandering around interviewing people. Um, and it's, it's kind of cute that he acknowledges in and of himself the points on the checklist that he hits at any given time. Yeah, and sort of the paranoia of self-diagnosis that yeah. can happen. Yeah, well... To anyone listening who gets a little nervous about this, the sure sign that you are not a psychopath is if you feel anxious about whether or not you are a psychopath. <laughs> yeah. um, because that anxiety no anxious, is yeah. something that a true psychopath would never feel. Um, so you're fine. Um, I'm also reading um, Issa Rae's, um, she's a, a comedian and the writer-creator of the HBO series Insecure. Um, she has a, a kind of memoir, cute, collection of essays called the misadventures of an awkward black girl so i'm reading that oh, yeah. and it's delightful she's just super charming and we would go out to a restaurant and both eat very awkwardly and quickly together so <laughs> she's wonderful i'm really enjoying that and then the third one is really interesting and kind of relative to baseball fans might find this cool i'm reading a book called the man from the train the solving of a century-old serial killer mystery uh written by bill james Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, that Bill James. So he and his daughter um, worked together to collect old newspaper clippings and go through all these old reports and filings and, like, spent years working on this. And I'm I'm only about a third of the way through it right now. Um, but he, like, really delves into, like, all the connected cases. And it's it's a fascinating exploration of this really old serial killer mystery of this guy who would go town to town and target families that lived near railroads and like murder whole families in the night um, in a very similar fashion. It's really crazy. And they um, would so just kind of slip back on the train, right? Like, so it yeah, was really hard would, to track yeah, them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really fascinating. So if you're a true crime buff, like I am, and if you're a Bill James fan, it's kind of the perfect combination. Um, Cause he's, he's got a really charming to like take to the way he writes things. Like, he doesn't, you know, profess himself to be an expert. He's just like, look, I've researched all of this, and this is my opinion, and I think you'll agree with me if you see this, and if you just wait, and it's very, like, he. it sounds like he's talking to you and, like, trying to convince you of his, <laughs> his take on things. So it's actually, it's really enjoyable, and I, it, it kind of hits two of my very big niche likes, so I would recommend all three of them. Yeah, and Bill James has always had, like, a really... Um... Ah, you know, it's been a long enough. I can't even really describe his writing style at this point, but he he has a distinctive writing writing style. Um, it's very sort of like meticulous and 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 step by step. Like he he really does kind of like lay out things and then try to put them together for you before he goes on to the next thing. Um, sort of ah, you know, I can't even really 
pick it up right now because I haven't no, read I enough totally of his baseball writings. But yeah, fascinating guy. And, you know, to go along with the true crime genre, the first one I've been reading lately, and I just started this, so I'm not that far into it, but is A Burglar's Guide to the City by Jeff Manaw, which is um, kind of an exploration of burglars and the way they use um, kind of modern architectural space in an urban environment to commit crimes and the way that that can vary from the way an architect looks at a city. So it's kind of like looking at a city from the perspective of a burglar looking to sort of penetrate various spaces and also how the FBI kind of counters that with their counter burglary teams and just sort of all the weird like anecdotes of like crimes that have happened, the hole in the wall gang um, in LA who famously dug like this incredible tunnel um, through the bedrock of the, the underground you know, rivers and streams that still flow under Los Angeles to get into this bank. Um, that's a fascinating story. Um, but I'm yeah, just literally start, requesting this book as we speak. <laughs> yeah, for a, tr- for a true crime writer, I think I think you need this book. Um, the second thing I was reading is The Hidden Life of Trees, which if anybody's read, um, oh, dang it, what's the other name? I think there is another book similarly titled, but it's it's sort of all about like the relationship of, of trees to each other and the environment and how and sort of how all these like really slow moving connections and interactions happen between uh, between trees and the rest of, of any given forest or even an urban environment. That's been pretty cool. Um, although that's, you know, there's always like a pile of books that like, okay, this one I'm really like dive to and reading fast. And then this is the one where I pick up and read a chapter when I'm like, yeah. like lazy and want to just take a bath and sit there and read something. <laughs> so we've got those going. Um, I'm re- Homer's uh, Odyssey needs a, no introduction, but I do kind of re-read re- that just about every winter. So I'm working my way through that. And then the final one is The Largesse of the Sea Maiden by, oh. yeah, by Dennis Johnson, who is um, one of my favorite American writers. Um, he, he just passed away about a year ago. Um, he won the National Book Award for a book called Tree of Smoke maybe six or seven years ago. Um, but he's most known for um, the volume of short stories Jesus' Son, which was um, a, kind of a... a kind of a hallucinogenic recitation of his time as a heroin addict in the seventies. Um, that he's just a fascinating writer. He was a poet, um, first and he's an excellent poet and it, it always comes through. He's one of the best stylists, um, in American lit that, that I've ever read, um, up there with guys like Cormac McCarthy, McCar- um, Faulkner, uh, I want to say Virginia. I want to say Virginia O'Keefe. I always mix them up, but no, Virginia Woolf. Virginia Woolf and Georgia O'Keefe <laughs> as one person. That's I do, very impressive. I do kind of always mix them together. She would write about crushing loneliness and vaginas. Yep, exactly. And you know, so does so does Dennis Johnson. You know, <laughs> when it comes down to it, you know, all of life is you know the loneliness of <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, exactly. This is taking a turn. I know it's gotten dark, but yeah, and Dennis Johnson's <laughs> books are kind of dark um, in general. But um, yeah, it's a collection of short stories. It's a it's published posthumously and because I read and loved everything um, I've ever read by him, his novel Fiscadoro, which was released back in like 84, one of my favorites of all time. Anybody who picks up a Dennis Johnson book, give it a try try to stick with it for a little while because he's, you know, he's a literary writer. He's unfolding it a little slowly, but man, can the guy write. So those are, those are kind of the four that are, that are chief going on. I always have like some random thing, like I'm, picking up a Game of Thrones book or Lord of the Rings or Dune and reading sections out of those. But um, yeah, Game of Thrones is on my list to finally read them this year. I've seen all the, sh- the episodes, but I keep needing to actually read the books and yeah. I have them all in both ebook and print. So I should probably get on that. Yep. It is. It is very good. Like I'm someone who's real kind of, I, 
I hate to say I was snobby, but I was probably snobby about um, about genre fiction of any kind. And I, you know, I didn't really read fantasy. Didn't really read much science fiction. Dune is kind of like my science fiction book. Those and Philip K. Dick's books. Um, but as far as fantasy goes, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Song of Ice and Fire is is really, really, really good. I've read that a couple times now, and I just I keep dabbling to try to keep myself fresh with it before the interminable wait for the final season, which I'm terrified is just going to suck. So. <laughs> Oh, don't even joke. It'll be, be cool, but, I, but you know, there, there's just not going to be enough time to do it justice. And I, I'm just trying to make my peace with that. But um, hopefully Mr. Martin will finish the series. Yeah, hopefully he finally writes another book. That would be lovely. He's got to be close, man. He's got to have I, You know what? I realized recently that the last Game of Thrones book came out while I was still working in retail. Oh, yeah. It was like and, 2011, wasn't it? Yeah. And I have like since gone to work for a major corporation, taken time off to be a writer full-time, and gone back to work for that major corporation. <laughs> and meanwhile, and in, like, I would like to point out how many books I wrote in that t- year and a half I took off <laughs> to write. That's, yeah, that's how we should well, measure this. Ashley's probably written, yeah. like, 50 books while George R. R. Martin just dicks around. Um, I have written, and this is going to be an estimate, uh, probably about 19 books since the last time George R. R. Martin released a Game of Thrones novel, a Song mm. of Ice and Fire novel. Sounds, so, sounds for like a perspective. Challenge. Sounds like a I, challenge, George R. R. Martin. We're calling you out. I wonder how many I can write between now and when he releases the next one. Oh, man. He's got to get wins a winner done by end of this year. That's all I'm saying. If it, I, I've been very patient, but if it doesn't happen by this year, I'm going to be pretty upset. Anyway, we'll leave... Uh, keep on keep on believing. Yeah, exactly. We'll leave... Uh, Mr. Martin to his devices for a while and give him a little more time. But uh, the Tigers, um, yeah, they're playing the Yankees tomorrow. Daniel Norris will be pitching. That'll start at one. Um, we're going to keep the prospect coverage coming, and there'll be a lot more hitting later on this week. So please keep up with us on blessyourboys.com. You can follow Ashley at 90 Feet From Home on Twitter. You can find me at Fiscadoro74. Ashley, I think we're done. I think we are. I'm going to go read some of these books in my pile that you reminded me are there. Damn right. Sounds like a good idea. I need to go eat something. So, all right, everybody, have a good night. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.